0: It's good to be with you, and uh, I'm I'm always excited about being with Grace Center. I consider it one of my home churches away from home, so to speak, and I just love the the heartbeat of this church and uh, the people, you know, I've got, God's blessed my wife and I with some great friendships here, and I love Southern food. I just, (laughs) it's a good thing I don't live here, (laughs) at least right now, but anyway... Uh, I've got two messages for you, and you can relax. I'm not going to give them both uh, this service, but you will need to come back for the second service. Um, Both messages are pertaining to this church, and the first one is... Uh, A message the Lord actually gave me for the body of Christ at large Uh, in January. I've been preaching it, uh, done a number of Zoom international Zoom meetings, and put it on our website to a lot of leaders and uh, a number of churches since January, and it's a, a general word for the body of Christ at this season. How many of you know, as Daniel said, God is the God of the times and seasons? And uh, we all love spring when new things are breaking forth, but uh, there always has to be a winter, doesn't there? Your enthusiasm is amazing. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, how it works in the kingdom of God and life itself, there always has to be a death before new things come forth, that's what Jesus went through. And that's really, in a a way, what we've been going through all over the globe the last two years. and so I want to speak this word to you called "2022-2023," coming out of the whirlwinds, and uh, it's not just a generalized word this morning. As I've very realized, it's actually very, very pertaining to your church. The whirlwinds are times of confusion. Whirlwinds, tornadoes. The fact the Hebrew word that's used for storms and whirlwinds is the word sar. And uh, it it involves a shaking, and like one of the prophets said, we're in a time when everything that can be shaken, politically, economically, global upheaval, everything going on, and social unrest, all of it, but what we've seen the last uh, two years with not just COVID and the fear of... Uh, sickness and to death and all of that, but the loss, the economic loss, the um, social upheaval uh, as a result of that. Where I live in California, uh, teenage suicide, especially among uh, teenage girls, has risen by over 25% in the last two years. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse have tremendously increased. Spousal abuse has increased. And uh, we're just in this time when, you know, everything that can be shaken is being shaken. And when a tornado comes, there's things that you felt were very, very solid that could not be budged, and all of a sudden they're flying around you, like some of you remember that old movie Twister. They're getting close to the Twister, driving down the road, and all of a sudden there's a cow flying in front of them across the road. Ten seconds later, the flying is back this way, and somebody says, it's another cow. No, it's the same cow, you know. Things that you think cannot be moved are, are being moved. And I know in our own ministry, after 40 years of international ministry, traveling about, uh, oh, 120 to 140 days a month or a year, just year in, year out, I, I live in expanded time, you know. <laughs> But uh, having done that for 40 years, 120 to 140 days a year, all of a sudden, uh, you know, not doing anything. And uh, the challenges that brought, which way? And my wife saying, when are you going to get out of the house for all that? No. <laughs> uh, but in the midst of that, it's important to understand that not only are whirlwinds, times of devastation and change, But biblically speaking, they can also be times of promotion. That's what I want to talk to you about. I want to, one person's excited, I don't know where that person is, but they're the Pentecostal section, they get my full attention. Um, We're going to be in the book of Job, everybody's favorite book. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Job, chapter 1 basically is all about devastation, And then the next 37, 38 chapters are all about insult on top of injury. That Job was a very, very wealthy man. He was a man of great prestige and honor. Uh, And just almost overnight, within a few days' time, he lost everything. He lost his health. He lost all of his children. He lost all of his wealth, prestige. Everything was taken from him. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously whirlwinds of devastation came and actually that's how his children died. They were all gathered and heavy winds came and the roof collapsed and all of that. I think it was December 10th through 12th here in Tennessee and Kentucky. You had millions and millions, if not billions of dollars of damage, didn't you? Because of the tornadoes and whatnot. And to make matters worse... Job, through all of this loss, the grieving he's going through for his children, and the loss of his wealth, and he's just in utter pain. He had boils breaking on his whole body, just living in absolute pain and agony. And then, to add insult to injury, three his three closest friends come, under the purpose to console and comfort him. And they spend the next 37 chapters attacking him, condemning him, basically saying, this is all your fault. (laughs) You know, uh, with friends like that, who needs enemies? But he's going through all of this, going through this time of loss and confusion, but little does he know God's intending to redeem this in ways he can't even begin to imagine. And so we jump ahead all the way to where do we want to go? Chapter uh, 38, Job chapter 38, we read in the first verses there, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Sometimes we have this false, kind of religious, idealistic uh, picture of, you know, that we're at a beach somewhere and. Uh, everything's perfect the water's perfect the winds died down it's just the perfect temperature and you know you're communing with the lord you've got your bible open and for some of you you're thinking you know there's a pina No, i won't go there but uh you think that's the place where god speaks where i'm perfectly at rest just in the midst of glory But, you know, biblically speaking, there's a pattern that when we're feeling the most vulnerable, when we're feeling the most challenged, the voice of God comes. And I think of Jesus shortly before his arrest. He cried out to the Father and he said, My soul is troubled within me. Because he knew uh, the the pain and agony and rejection he was about to go through. But in the midst of that pain, uh, of what, what was to come... He says, Now my soul is troubled. But the Father spoke to him. The Father came down, the voice of the Father came down from heaven and said, I have glorified you and I will glorify you again. And whether we realize it or not, the storms of life are difficult because as we go from season to season, breakthrough to breakthrough, and glory to glory, sometimes whether we realize it or not, there has to be a loosening of of the old way of doing things and the old perspectives to enter into the greater good; otherwise, the old saying, "The present good becomes the enemy of the future great." And I thought it was interesting, even this morning, in your, you know, your your scenery behind there. You know, the video show these clouds constantly swirling around, didn't it? But uh, the Lord spoke to Job. And essentially over the next two chapters, God is a little bit like uh, Job's three friends. He rebukes Job. (laughs) And there's a, a saying that I picked up from a friend of mine years and years ago that goes like this, that at times we're far too comfortable with a God that we really don't know all that well. And oftentimes we're appealing to God, demanding things of God, saying, God, why haven't you done this? Why don't you do this? And we're doing it with a, a complete lack of awareness that he's the great I am and we're the great we're not. <laughs> that his plans for you are not only, only better than what you can ever imagine, but the detail and the working that out is beyond What you can ever imagine, with each of our lives, God is weaving this grand mosaic of all these different colors and fabrics and things coming together. And oftentimes, what He's instilling in that prior to us experiencing it, we never would have imagined. Even when it does come along, we think, "Well, this doesn't fit with my past history." Well, either does heaven. So, but. Paul said, God has more for those who love him than our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, more than we can begin to imagine. And so Job answers God, and he says, Behold, I am of small account. There is a whole art of making ourselves small before the great I am. There's a whole art, and I'm not talking about something religious, putting on sackcloth and ashes, walking around, woe is me. That's why we have the wokester movement. That's what they're all about. God God is the lifter of your head, hello? But when... We begin to press in upon God, whether we're reading the Word, we're praying, we're fellowshipping, talking about God, especially, you know, moments like this on Sunday mornings and times of worship. God wants to bring us into a growing revelation of the majesty of Christ, the authority of Christ, and the beauty of Christ. I've been ministering prophetically all over the globe for decades now, and I do a lot of training and teaching, not only on knowing the voice of God, but on uh, for people called to prophetic ministry. And I'm convinced that we've lost the heart of prophecy because a lot of people think, well, prophecy is almost like spiritual entertainment, you know, and a shot of vitamin B spiritually, that I give you this word that excites you and you give me this word that excites me. But that's not the heart of prophecy. The heart of prophecy is about the greater revelation of Jesus. The greatest prophetic book in all the Bible, the book of Revelation, it begins by saying the revelation of Jesus. And we're in a season as we're approaching an incredible harvest at hand that could be unto the last days, we're approaching a season where God is wanting to bring an amazing awakening to the church. And that awakening is not about me, myself, and I. It's about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so Job, he begins to learn this art of smalling himself up before the Lord. And then again, in chapter 40, again it says that God spoke. God answered Job out of the whirlwind. And could it be that some of the prayers we've been praying that for our nation maybe, for your own life, for your business, your career, for this and that, could it be, and I'm asking this question really for the church meeting down the road. I know none of you will fall into this. But could it be that our prayers are more tainted by an over-focus on ourself rather than the beauty and wonder of Christ Jesus? You know, everybody thinks at this season of time, the greatest disease in the world is COVID. It's not. It's narcissism. So, Job, he makes himself small before the Lord. In the midst of that, God begins to speak to Job. Not only about the condition that Job's actually in, but he begins to speak about his own God's awesomeness, his wisdom, his authority. He says, were you there when I created all that exist? And the sons of God shouted in the morning, the stars sang in worship. And Job begins to respond to the Lord in chapter 42. And it says that he said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. We need a revelation today that no matter what's happening economically that no matter what's happening politically, no matter what's happening with the threat of sickness or disease, wars, rumors of wars, all of that, the kingdom of God has no end to its increase here on earth. That's what Isaiah said, there should be no end to the increase. It's not just the kingdom of God endures, but the move of the gospel, the changing of broken lives, broken marriages, broken souls... The healing, the deliverance, the restoration God has. It's not just that that continues, but it it will always be continuing with great increase. And for the past 30 years particularly, all over the world, as we're getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord, the whirlwind of God's Spirit that began on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, It is accelerating and accelerating and accelerating to the point that more people have given their lives to Jesus in the last 30 years than all of church history preceding that. And no matter what side of the political aisle you may be on, no matter where you're at economically right now, no matter what you may be going through with this or that, the kingdom of God is on the move. And there is an awakening God is wanting to bring to the church, not only the glory and majesty of Jesus and his authority, but calling us back to the essential message of repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And really, that's the heart of this church. As 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 Jeff and, you know, others have told you, you know, when I was here several years ago, we had that extra meeting in your staff meeting, you know... Alan, who had his cell phone on silence, a voice came out of his cell phone and said, it's the will of God that you bring transformation to your city. That's why you're here. You're here not just to survive, but you're here to be overflowing with the goodness of God that you bring transformation to those around you. And sometimes we need the whirlwinds to wake us up. We need things shaken in our lives. So we understand the difference between that which will stand eternally and that which is temporal. So Job said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I've uttered that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Could it be that in many of our pulpits in the Western world, we've been preaching and teaching out of theory, but things we don't really own because we actually haven't walked in the reality of it. Could it be that so many words that are preached in the pulpits of the United States, those words have fallen to the ground with little to no impact because it's just theory. Job is saying... I have heard things with my ear that I really did not understand. Things too wonderful for me. But he keeps pressing in and he said, hear and I will speak, I will question you and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So let me just put a A bit of an addendum on that. God is not calling you to despise yourself in that sense. In fact, Jesus said we need to learn to love ourselves or we can't really give his love away. But when the glory of God moves, as you've experienced many times in your Sunday mornings here in conferences and many of your own lives, when the glory of God, I'm not talking about the anointing. That's God's power to accomplish things, healing, deliverance, whatever. But when the glory, the very presence of God comes, that he provokes us either to rebellion or repentance, there's no middle ground. When the fire of God's presence comes to our souls, either we awaken to a deeper level of the wonder of who he is, or we close ourselves off and say, no, I don't want that. I just want things the way they have been. That's essentially called the spirit of religion, but that's another message. So in what Job said to the Lord, he essentially said four things to the Lord. First of all, he said, nothing is impossible for God. No purposes of his can be thwarted. I, was, I had the privilege of going with uh, Jeff and Britt um, a couple of days ago and praying for a young woman part of your church that's got in a real epic battle right now with cancer and I was telling them a story that uh, this happened about seven or eight years ago in a town on the west coast of uh, Norway called Stavanger, that seven or eight years ago, we were there doing a conference, and the last night of the conference, I felt the Lord said we were going to see healings and miracles the last night, so pray about inviting sick friends, sick relatives, whether they're Christian or non-Christian, just pray about inviting them. And we had a number of healings that happened, but I found out about this one five years later. The next time I was back with the church there. And uh, they, when I was back this, uh, the next time, they said, Mark, before you speak tomorrow night, we're going to have a guy give a testimony that was healed before you, uh, before you speak. So after worship, before I speak, they bring up this guy. Two guys actually came up. And they said, uh, five years ago when you were here and you said there's going to be a focus on healing, um, my two friends brought me to the meeting. Uh, I go to this. I'd gone to this church, but I had developed for the last two years stage four cancer of the bone, stage four cancer of the liver, and stage four cancer of the blood. I'd been sent home from the hospital to die. I was living in a hospice bed and things in my house, and there was just no hope for me. And how many of you know that even stage two cancer of the liver is normally considered fatal? You know. But his two friends brought him, and they helped him walk up to the front, and they said, Mark, you didn't know the types of cancer he suffered from, but we just told you it was cancer. And when you prayed for him, you said, Lord, would you release your power so deep within him that even his bones would be cleansed? Well... Uh, It was uh, a, a night or two later, he was back in his house, it was evening, he was laying on his couch just in agony and pain, kind of preparing his soul, you know, his spirit to make that journey home to the Lord in a week or two. And all of a sudden, the glory of God filled his living room. Not just the anointing of God's power, but the glory of God. See, I, I, you know, I teach and preach the anointing of God for prophecy, healing, all sorts of things, and we need that. But those are the tools to do the work of the kingdom. And what gets a lot of ministries in trouble is they learn to fixate more on the anointing than the glory, the presence. You see, the things we do in serving God are for his glory. Like, you know, in my garage, I've got a whole lot of tools. Some are carpentry tools, some are tools, uh, mechanical tools. But I don't define myself as being a mechanic or a carpenter. I define myself as being a son of God. And we get in trouble when we begin to define ourselves in the body of Christ as being a teacher or a prophet or an apostle or this or that. There's nothing higher than being a son or daughter of God knowing your inheritance is the glory of God. He is our portion. And so the glory of God filled that, his room, and to make a long story short, he was 100% completely healed. And uh, that hospital that he was going to um, in Norway, they were so flabbergasted, there was a, a hospital in the United States they were doing a co work to on... Um, liver cancer, and they sent the before and after test in the hospital in the United States. The doctors said, this is impossible. Can't be the same patient. Now, that's a story in the micro, but in the macro, we already know the end of the story. Psalm 2 says the nations will be given to Jesus as his inheritance. That's where we're headed. Secondly, what Joe prayed to the Lord helped us to understand that the ways and wisdom of God demand that we live by faith, not by our understanding and limited perspectives of Him. I've got uh, a number of, of very good friends in the Ukraine, and uh, as you as you know very well, it's, they're just going through demonic chaos there. What's being done, and uh, some of my friends have had to flee the country. Other uh, churches have been devastated, all sorts of things, and, you know, we, we just can't imagine what they're going through. But at the end of the day, the real battle is not who's in control, the government. Now, I have specific values that lend themselves to how I vote politically, and I'm not saying those values are unimportant, and I think it's very important how we vote but at the end of the day, the call upon you and me is not to champion a Democratic agenda or a, a Republican agenda, it's to champion the Kingdom of God. Yeah. 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 That is the high call upon us. And I'm not saying that politics don't matter, my second daughter is called, She, you know, she's very involved in that whole realm, that's a calling of God upon her life. But. There's been an unhealthy, in many churches, an unhealthy almost marriage between spirituality and nationalism. I love my country, and every time I travel back to the United States, especially from a third world country, I say, thank you God for the privileges we have here. Thank you that it's still the land of opportunity. I find it ironic that so many people that espouse hatred for America, Americans who espouse hatred for America, they somehow lose sight of the fact that Deprived people from all over the world still want to come here, because they realize it's a place of opportunity. But the call of God upon us is not to be ultra-champions of the United States or any country, but to seek first the kingdom of God. I hope you understand I'm not making this an either-or blanket statement. But We've been operating out of a limited understanding, and we need an increase of the prophetic, not just to stimulate us and give us warm, fuzzy meetings, but we need to be like Daniel to know the times and seasons. The third thing he said was we absolutely must take time to listen to God. Job said, you speak, and I will listen, because I've been saying things that are too wonderful for me to really understand. You speak. You speak. And I will listen. Isaiah said, those who wait upon the Lord, they shall walk and not faint. They shall mount up with the wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And I would like to suggest to you that corporal is a church, but also in our lives, in our marriages, we need to put a renewed emphasis on spending time waiting upon the Lord. Maybe if there's just a slight shift from how much time We spend watching the news till we start getting the real broadcasts that are coming from heaven. Just a thought. And I know none of you need to hear this. I'm saying it for the church right down the road there. The fourth thing Job said is that God desires, you know, Job said, I've heard about you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. I, I... I'm not talking about, you know, every day of the week or every week of the month or every month or every year that you have, so to speak, a throne zone revelation of God. I think those are invitation only. But God wants to, as Paul prayed, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to gaze upon him. We've heard so much about him. Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 1, verse 17, 18, and 19, he said, I pray for you that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul was speaking about was not the charisma gift of prophecy. That's something different. That's that's ministering to other people. That's a tool for doing the work of the kingdom. But what he was calling was as a lifestyle in our heart of hearts having eyes to see and ears to hear, to know the beauty of the Lord Jesus, to know the wonder of who he is, to know, I mean, Matt prayed for us this morning that God, would you give us a greater confidence like you have. That confidence comes by your change by what you see. In fact, you become like what you see, which could be a warning, but what we watch, and I won't go there, but he said, I pray for you that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you may know what is the hope to what he's called you. You see, God did not create you and I to just survive these problems and then sneak into heaven. Paul called us more than conquerors. God loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And as we walk with God and walk in the ways of God, he brings us out of chaos, out of death, out of bondage, out of despair, out of fear, and into the fullness of his spirit. Not that that doesn't mean there's not battles ahead. There are battles ahead, but he is the lifter of our head. And we're gazing as we walk through the challenges, we're gazing upon His promises, His beauty, and His goodness. That we may know the hope of our calling, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. Ephesians 3, 20, 21 Give glory to the one who can do far more, say far more, far more than you can think or ask according to his spirit that works through us. I love what I've seen God do the last 40 years. I've had the privilege of being part of five revivals uh, around the globe. But I tell you, none of that compares to what God wants to do. We dare not camp out at yesterday's breakthroughs. Because if we do, it will become today's plateau, it will become tomorrow's religious gutter. We're called to go from strength to strength, glory to glory, breakthrough to breakthrough. The problem is, is sometimes there's going from this to that. It's a bit of distance between them. And so Job came in to this much greater, these four aspects, greater understanding of God. And then I want to close with this, Job 42, verse 10. It says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. And if you know the end of the story, he became even wealthier than he had been. God gave him new children. not that he didn't grieve for the other ones, but God is a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration. God completely healed him. You see, God is always in the, bu- in the business of bringing forth beauty from ashes. But there's one final key here that Job had to get. It says, oh, look at that, a wasp. Be gone. <laughs> Should I put it now of its misery? I don't want to smoosh it. There you go. Okay. Matt's to the rescue here. Oh, Matt, you smooshed it. smoosh that is a word right so there's one final key here that the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends his friends had betrayed him his friends that he was looking to for comfort, encouragement and strength they condemned him, they belittled him they attacked him I hope this is not a revelation to you, but as you go through life as a Christian, there are going to be Christians who, like Jesus experienced, people you've shared your bread with, people you've had fellowship with, people you've shared your hearts with, they're going to betray you. The writer of Hebrews said, be weary, don't let any bitter root of judgment rise up within you by which many are defiled. One of the number one problems today in our society is a lack of commitment. A lack of commitment to churches, a lack of commitment to spouses, a lack of commitment to jobs, a lack of commitment. We're a people in this day's world that go from this to that and we never think once about walking away from, from people. Think about how many times, if you've known the Lord for more than five days, how many times you've let the Lord down, but yet he doesn't give up on you. He knows the good work he's going to complete within us. God calls us to be a people who go the distance, and that means making our hearts a resting place for him. Jesus said twice in the Gospels, if you don't forgive those who have sinned against you, Neither will your heavenly father forgive you of your sins. Anne Lamott defined unforgiveness as drinking rat poison and then sitting around waiting for the rat to die. I like an unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, whether it's towards a parent, a friend, a former business partner, maybe a spouse who abused you. It's like a cancer that once it gets seated, it grows and grows and grows until it chokes the very life out of us. And you see, if we're believing God for an outpoint of his glory, for an outpoint of his grace, for an outpoint of miracles, for an outpoint of signs and wonders, for a much greater freedom of the Holy Spirit, that begins with making room for him. Not only what we do here, or what we do in conferences, or your small groups, or when you're worshiping him, But in your heart of hearts, we're not allowed to compartmentalize and have a hue hidden closets and cupboards and secret rooms where we maintain unforgiveness and bitterness. But just as Jesus, when he hung on the cross in absolute agony with those pegs put through his feet, painfully raised himself up. Because most people who were crucified, they died of asphyxiation. They couldn't breathe because her diaphragm was just so violently stretched. But with pain, he raised himself up and he gasped those words, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And I want to challenge you that all four of these things, a greater revelation that nothing's impossible for God, that we need to stop leaning to our own perspectives and understanding, and like Daniel, press into God. That, you know, uh, spending time in prayer and worship waiting upon him, but also entering into what Paul called the eyes of our hearts, being enlightened to really have a growing personal awareness of his beauty. These things are vital, but this fifth thing is like an umbrella over that that if we hang on in our hearts to unforgiveness, bitterness. And I know that uh, over the last three years, the Lord has called me in my heart of hearts to revisit some relationships I've had over the past 30, 40 years. People have betrayed me in ministry, people I've partnered with in ministry who have said out and out lies about me to other leaders and things like that. I've had to revisit that, and I've prayed Lord, search my heart and see if there be any hurtful way within me, as David prayed. That's one of the most dangerous prayers you can pray. The other one is, send me. (laughs) But David prayed, search my heart, O God, see if there be any hurtful ways within me. Why? Number one, so we can be free of that ball and chain of bitterness, anger, unforgiveness. But secondly, so we can be free to run the race before us. So, I mentioned that hurricanes and whirlwinds and tornadoes are not just times of devastation and confusion, but biblically speaking, they're also times of breakthrough and promotion. Elijah and Elisha were walking on the far side of the Jordan Elijah is the great prophet of Israel. Elisha is the young man he's been mentoring now for years. And Elisha Elijah is trying to get rid of Elijah because he knows the Lord is going to come for him. Elijah never died a physical death like Melchizedek and Enoch. He was just taken up. But he doesn't know, quite know how this thing is going to come off. And he's a little bit scared. You know, the great I am is about to show up here. And he's trying to get rid of Elisha. And he says, what is it you want from me? And Elisha said, I want a a double portion of what you have. He wasn't asking for twice as much, but in the Hebrew culture, if a father had four children, he would always divide his inheritance into five portions because the eldest son always got a double portion. Well, guess what? You are co-heirs with the elder son, Jesus. You're coming into a double portion. But he was saying to Elijah, I want to serve God as you've served God. The anointing you've walked in to serve Israel, I want to walk in that. And it's interesting what Elijah Elijah said to him. He said, it's difficult what you ask, meaning I can't just lay hands on you and impart that to you. But he said, if you see it, when it happens, you'll have what you want. Meaning if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you're going to enter in. And they're walking and talking, and all of a sudden, Elisha looks up and he sees the whirlwinds of God coming down. He sees the chariots of fire, and this is what you're called to, and this is what we're going to talk about the second service. You're called to host the fire of God's consuming presence in your lives, but here in the church, in your worship. It's the main thing God has called you to export and give away, the fire of God's glory. It's not the only thing, but it's a primary thing. But he had eyes to see and ears to hear, and the Lord took up Elijah. and from that time on, Elisha walked in a whole other level of authority and fruitfulness, and it was just amazing how God used him in the lives of people and the life of the nation. The key was eyes to see and ears to hear. And sometimes at conferences, people come up to you and say, I want to be, be a prophet to the nations, or I want to do this. Can you lay hands on me for that? I say, no, I can't. <laughs> that as the Spirit leads, we can impart gifts, gifts of healing, gifts of prophecy. But the calling of God is sovereign upon us, and the whole key for us is entering in to, as Paul prayed, the eyes of our heart being enlightened. And so Jesus finished his message to each of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, saying, let those of ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying. Jeremiah 12.5, it reads a little bit different in different translations. But essentially it says, if you have trouble fighting the foot soldiers... How are you going to fight the chariots when they come? If you can't run with the foot soldiers, how are you going to run against the chariots? Well, see, it's impossible to run with the chariot because they're pulled by horses. But supernaturally, Elijah outran the chariot of Ahab. See, God's calling us from our fixation with the battles that we understand on this level to enter into a whole new level. I'm glad you're excited. So, I said I'd close with that, but I'll close with this. (laughs) David's prayer in Psalm 20. Can I have the band come up, or some of the band, or anybody got a ukulele or harmonica or something? (laughs) Or a keyboard player? Okay, they're on it. But uh, they're like the hired help. You don't allow them to come up these stairs here, do you? They have to go through the servant's entrance. (laughs) I'm glad they didn't hear that. (laughs) Uh, But David said in Psalm 27, verse 4, One thing, say with me, "one one thing. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Well, the good news is you don't have to go to the other side of the world to Jerusalem or Mecca, but in your heart of hearts, as we make it a resting place, we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. As we come together and worship and minister to the Lord, We can gaze upon the beauty and the majesty of Christ, and we can make inquiries. We can say, Lord, what's going on? Help me to perceive correctly, not according to what I understand, but you are the God of the times and seasons. And I can tell you, with all the havoc that COVID, the lockdowns, the stopping of Uh, My ministry of the last two years with all of the questions I've had with all of the frustration with all the challenges I can tell you. I've never been more excited in my life Than what's about to unfold I'm here today because I had a prior commitment, but for the last four months. I've been involved in most Mondays uh, California time a 5 a.m. zoom meeting with leaders primarily from the Middle East, Christian leaders in Syria, Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, a number of leaders from the underground church in China, and this very week, a number of my close friends, they're having a, uh, I won't give you the exact details because this is very much under the radar, but they're having a huge gathering, four or five days in um, the area of the underground church, in the Middle East, of waiting upon the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Because the Lord has spoken to a number of us that this is the time, as Isaiah prophesied, God's highway will be established from Assyria to Egypt and Israel. There's coming an amazing breakthrough, even more than there has been, of the gospel in the Middle East. But it has to do with the end times. There's some things I can't take the time to explain right now of what's being cast down and what's being raised up, the name of Jesus. But it's happening in the very place, the very city in ancient Egypt that when someone was named a king, a pharaoh, after that they would go to this city and they would be proclaimed a God. Isn't it interesting that on our American dollar we have the pyramid? And that sun god has had an incredible demonic impact on the world for thousands of years now. But right now, my friends are doing five nights of worship and four days of prayer, and they're proclaiming Jesus, the Son, the king of kings, lord of lords. We're, we're coming into something fresh right now. And guess what? We all have an invitation. We all have an invitation. Are you still alive? Yeah. Let's stand. Do, do I have time to pray a little bit, Jeff? Okay. Um, I, I, maybe you've been moving in the gift of prophecy for 50, 60 years. Maybe you've never moved in the gift of prophecy. Maybe you're just in right now in the process of getting to know Jesus. Maybe you're a strong, committed Christian. But I proclaim over you these two verses, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that God has more for those who love him. That means you. He has more for you than your eyes have seen, your ears have heard, more than you can begin to imagine. And I proclaim over you Ephesians 3, 20, 21, it's time to give glory to the one who can do far more than you can think or ask according to the dunamis power of his Holy Spirit that works through us. And so as we begin to emerge out of the chaos of the last two years, it's not a matter of just getting our businesses and getting the economy regoing. It's just not a matter of getting the schools functioning the right way again. It's not simply a political or economical or social matter. It's the kingdom of God that is the key to all of us. And the mandate for you, for me, for all of us. As Jesus and John the Baptist and disciples preached is repent, meaning it's time for change because the kingdom of God is at hand. So I want to pray just quickly before we close I want to pray two things I want to pray that the Lord would impart to us in his grace what Paul prayed apostolically for the church at Ephesus so would you just put a hand over your heart right now if that's not too religious or hokey or uh, would you pray out loud after me Father Father God would you give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you I want to gaze upon the wonder of Jesus I want to be captivated Lord in a way I never have been by your beauty and majesty and would you give me ears to hear so we could be like the sons of Issachar To know our times and know what we should do. In my life, my family, and as a church, awaken us to your glory. Would you give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you? I humbly ask, would you enlighten the eyes of my heart? I just bless that to you in the name of Jesus. I bless that to you. I bless that to you. I'd like to close with this, and um, I don't in any way mean this to be embarrassing to anybody. I know you so well as a church. I know that you don't just have the name Grace Center, you are a center of grace. you're a center of healing, you're a center of wholeness, you're a center of love and you realize we're all in this journey of becoming like Christ together. Someone may be a few miles ahead of you in the journey, but we're, we're all en route to wholeness in Christ. So without any condemnation, without any embarrassment, if you know in your heart of heart that you're struggling with some long-term anger, bitterness, could be towards a mother, a father, a former spouse, could be towards a former business partner or... Uh, Could be, you know, to whoever, someone who betrayed a confidence in the body of Christ, someone who betrayed your trust. Would you come forward right now? No condemnation. No, this is not to embarrass anybody. But today is a day of freedom. I believe there's still a few more. If you need to come forward, please don't feel embarrassed. We're all on this journey of wholeness in Christ together. We're all on the journey. If you need to come forward, don't be embarrassed. Let's stretch out hands to these men and women who have come forward. And I want to ask everybody, even those who didn't come forward, But I want to ask everybody if you would pray out loud with me right now. Father God, I invite you to search my heart and see if there be any hurtful ways within me. Lead me in the way that's everlasting. Or you give me a freedom this day to let go of any anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, I want to be free to run the race before me. I want my heart to be a resting place for your glory. This one thing I ask, I want to behold your beauty. And in my heart of hearts, I want to seek you, I want to seek you. So. Whoever was in your thinking, in your heart, if you came up here, maybe for whatever reason you didn't feel the freedom to come up here, but God's speaking to you, someone. Just right in your heart of heart right now, bless that person or bless that group of people. Bless them to prosper in the love of God. Bless their physical health. Bless their relationships. Bless their family. Bless their finances. Bless them to be closer to Jesus than they've ever been before. Because that's one of the ways we know we're free of anger and bitterness is when we can freely begin to bless those people who hurt us. So just in your heart of heart, just bless those people right now. I I guess I do want to do one, one last thing. This will only take a moment or two. And this is really tied into the second message we're going to give next uh, session. But uh, because you're part of this church, I I, I don't want you to uh, not get a a semblance of this. And I would guess this is why you're part of Grace Center, because you already grasped this. But it says that in Leviticus, what is it? My mind's gone blank. Leviticus 16, I think, that when the high priest of the day of atonement would come into the Holy of Holies, he had two things in his hand. It says he has a fire pan full of coals of fire. And in the other hand, he held a measure of two handfuls of finely ground sweet incense. And as he would enter in the veil, he would pour out that incense upon the coals of fire. And we understand that symbolic of our prayers and worship, making a fragrant aroma unto the prince of God. But Hebrew tradition of the Hebrew scholars who have given their lives to studying this say that within that small area of the Holy of Holies, there would then be so much smoke that he could not really see his way. He had to feel his way. And this is part of your call as Grace Center to establish a resting place for your glory, to have sometimes those meetings where, as you've had in the past, that it's not business as usual. You've got to feel your way around. And God wants to do some things in our life that we're so overwhelmed by his goodness that nothing else really looks clear to us. That all the deceits of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of sin, the deceitfulness of having our names attached to accolades and places of prestige, we understand that, you know, as we begin to see clearly in the Holy of Holies, we understand that although God can use us in those things and their mission fields and their opportunities to extend the kingdom, that's not our true wealth. That as David and Jeremiah said, Lord, you are my portion in the land of the living. So I just wanna close with this. Would you hold out your hands right now to the Lord? Just close your eyes for a moment. Father, I bless the hands of every person and every heart here. And like the high priest of old that would carry the fire pan of the fire that represented your glory, and they'd carry in the two handfuls of uh, finely beaten sweet incense to pour upon the fire, that we would learn the art of offering up our lives in worship to you, that we would be a fragrant aroma to you. And just like when Mary poured out the costly perfume on the feet of Jesus, the whole house was filled with the smell of it. Would you cause the essence of Jesus to radiate from our lives? Would you anoint our hands like those high priests to be carriers of your fire and be carriers of the incense? Would you anoint us now and take us deeper as a church, as Grace Center, into this whole art of ministering to your glory and making your glory known to the nations? Amen. Amen. In the New American Standard, Psalm 149, it says God beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're better looking than you were a couple hours ago.